0: Uh, we praise Allah subhanahu wa We send peace and blessings upon uh, our beloved messenger Muhammad uh, Upon his family, his companions, and, and those who follow them until the end of time. Uh Assalamu alaykum rahmatullah to everybody, insha'Allah. Um, before we start, I uh, just wanted to check in and make sure everybody's well, insha'Allah. Um, it's important also that we center ourselves, you know, um, and check in from time to time just on how we're feeling, how we're doing, insha'Allah. Uh, and, you know, to feel uh, heard. Oftentimes we may go through like days, weeks, without really feeling anyone has taken the time to listen to us so I uh, just want to check in uh, make sure inshallah anyone have any needs everybody's okay like don't be shy inshallah um, any du'a requests um, we take them like really seriously inshallah so alhamdulillah we've been going through this text asairin of Imam al-Harawi uh, who was a great Hanbali scholar Ironically, uh, this may surprise people, but the majority, a large majority of the early Sufis were actually Hanbalis. Um, and he was known as sheik al-Islam. Uh, he was someone that was like highly regarded. Um, he wasn't a perfect person. like None of these people that we talk about, we should ever think they're perfect. That's not fair for us to place people uh, in places of perfection. But he wrote this really beautiful text that goes through the different stations of like the inner states of the person. So you could think of this as like a book of fiqh for your heart. It's like fiqh tells us like, these are the actions you should be doing, right? Like I should be doing, like if I'm trying to improve my spiritual capacity, my worship, my relationship with Allah, the intimacy of having that relationship, so like, don't do this, don't eat that. You know, stay away from this, do this, do this a lot. This text is focusing on the inner aspects of that, of that path. And he divided it into a number of sections. And the first is al the beginnings of like emotional religious consciousness, right? The early iterations of religiosity. And that's hard, it's hard for people to do. Every once in a while, um, I receive a message from somebody who, you know, like faith, has called them back, alhamdulillah. Or they've recently accepted Islam. And, like, my advice to them sometimes may frustrate them because I say to them, like, work on loving your parents. Like, work on, like, being a person who cares about people. So what I've noticed is that people tend not to want to work on this stuff. Like, we're quick to kind of focus on the externals. But we don't really want to take the time to center ourselves. One of our teachers used to say, if you're not centered, you become a center. Right? To have, yeah, tidal. balance. And one of the important components of balance is, like, to take time out and cultivate the internal qualities. And we live now in an age where people, like, tend to be divided in the community between, like, activism... And like religious issues. But there should be no like uh, contradiction between the two. If we look at Surah Maida, uh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he orders Sayyidina Musa and his community to go into the holy land. Uduhulul Ardal Muqad Dasatalik ti kataballaqum like al mukkad dasala ti go into the sacred land. Like, there's big people in there. We're not going to go in there. Like, we're not going to go in there. But two people who fear Allah. So they have activism. They're outwardly active and passionate about causes. But also it says, They have fear of God. So they have the internal and the external. Those two people, what they say? Go. So one of my teachers, he's in jail now in Egypt, may Allah free him. He used to say, um, two people are stronger than a whole nation. Like two people who balance spiritual anchorings with external passions of the activist are aqwa min al-umma kulliha. They're stronger than an entire nation. And, and, and we're in a community where We've got to maintain a commitment to our foundations or we risk being used by others. Because either we're going to worship Allah and be used for his deen or used by someone else. How do I know that I'm not being, you know, necessarily used is that I'm true to my commitment to my principles and my foundations. There's a great article. She was here, Dr. Saad, uh, a few weeks ago about this, like, you know, not every opportunity for exposure is necessarily good, right? Think strategically. So this text focuses on that in internal focus, with the goal of it leading to like external practice. He never like divorces it from either or. That's why Allah says, "Inna Allahu yuhibbu taawabin wa yuhibbu Over and over in the Quran, you find this idea. Right, this duality, inner-outer, 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 outer-inner, always. Allah says that he loves people who repent and he loves people who are physically pure. Because repentance is internal purity. Right? When I repent to Allah, I purify my heart. But when I practice external purity, external purity. So there's always this duality. Always this notion of, of, and that's that's the battle that we all go through. Like, none of us are going to achieve like perfection in that, right? There's always that struggle to limit that contradiction. So the first, the first station he began with is aliyakaza, awakenings. And like we we spent a lot of time talking about different ways in which Allah subhanahu wa taala careens into our life and. Presents opportunities for awakenings, whether through great success or great trauma. And we said for a believer, we can simply place success and pain as motivating factors to stay on the way of ihsan. And it's not easy. We talked about finding wisdom and some of those things can be incredibly challenging. And then after that, after we wake up, and this is where we stopped, you know, I wake up, I'm in my room, and Like, I'm totally awake now. And at that moment, I achieve, like, some awareness of my true situation. So once I'm aware, then I want to repent. I want to try to fix the things that I've done wrong. So the second stop is where we stopped, is a toba. Repentance. So, we'll quickly go through that, then we'll pray, then we'll start, inshallah, hopefully the end of Tawbah, and then start the third one tonight, inshallah. ta'ala وَمَنْ لَمْ In the 10th verse of the 49th chapter of the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, whoever doesn't repent is an oppressor. So that would mean, we have something in, in, in our tradition called مَفْهُمُ مُخَالَفَةً which means we can invert a text and also take another meaning from it. So whoever doesn't repent has oppressed himself. What will be the inverse of that? Is that whoever repents is what? Successful. So some of our teachers say, in this verse is a threat and a promise. Because like the mantuq of the verse, what we read, It's like, oh snap. If I haven't repented, I'm in big trouble. That's what's read. What's understood, though, is the opposite that if I do repent, then I'm going to be what? Successful. Subhanallah. So, in one verse, two meanings. And the, the proof is Allah says, Allah said in the Quran, believers, all of you repent, you'll be successful. So, like, that verse shouldn't just be read to like intimidate me and destroy me. Man, I have repented in so long. But at the same time, it's a promise that if I do repent and I do come back to Allah, inshallah, then there's hope. That's why we say there's no verse of the Qur'an that issues a threat except in it, packed in it, is its opposite. And also, There's no verse that has hope, right, and a promise except in it is its opposite. That's why Al-Muhasibi, he said that the Qur'an has a certain number of rights on you. The first one is Al-Amaru Bi-Hukmi, is to live it. There was a Sahabi, subhanAllah, he was the oldest Sahabi, one of the last Sahaba alive in Iraq, I can't remember his name, and one day, his student came to him and he found him. He was an elderly man. He found him. He was super happy. He said, Why are you so happy? He said, Today, Khatam to Quran. Like today, I did Khatam of Quran. He said, Man, you became Muslim in the time of Sayyidina Muhammad. And you just made Khatam today? He said, La, ma khatamtuhu bil Aqwali, bal bil Af'al. Which means, I didn't finish reciting it, I finished acting on it today. So he said, I'm confused. He said, you know, there's this one verse in Surah al-Nur, then, where if you knock on someone's door three times, they don't answer, Farjiu, go back. He said, man, from the time I became Muslim to this day, every time I knocked on somebody's door, they opened the door. So I never had the chance to go back. He said, falhamdulillah, today nobody answered. Farajat, wa Khatamt. wa hamit. He said, look, today, alhamdulillah, I knocked on the door, and finally nobody answered. I knocked three times, alhamdulillah, nobody answered. So he said, today I finished the Quran. SubhanAllah. So the first, uh, al-muhasib, said, al-amaru bil-hukmi, is to act on it. The second, he said, i'tibar bi-wa'ad wa-wa'idi, is to have regard for its promises and its threats. To take those things seriously. The, The third is to believe in its allegorical verses like Alif, la, meem, ha, meem. we don't understand what those mean but we believe in them. And then the fourth he said is wal-hikayati. you know is to like take benefit from its parables and its stories, actually four things four things. So the verses of Toba that encourage us has to make Toba. the opposite will be if we don't make Toba, repent we're in trouble. The verses that talk about people who don't repent are in trouble the inverse is that if they do repent, insha'Allah. So every verse has a duality, subhanAllah. Every verse, and you'll now be able to appreciate, appreciate why we talked about this last year. Every verse of Qur'an sits between fear and hope. But the agent is you and me who's going to act on what will bring about that sincere hope and who's going to act on what will bring that sense of fear. SubhanAllah. So the shaykh he says And that's why he said you know the, the application of oppression is turned or, or is dropped concerning the person who repents. Then he said repentance cannot truly happen until we recognize our sins. So we talked about how recognition of sins is one of the greatest blessings of Allah for a person. Because it's one thing for me to wrong someone. Usually when someone wrongs me, I know in my own life, I just cut them off, man. Unless it's like a family member, but like if someone wrongs me, like the easy way is like I'm out. Or I put them on blast. Right. Those two are simple because when I put people on blast, I, I, I make myself look good. Unless they need to be put on blast. We should do a class to fix of putting people on blast. But very rarely am I going to go and tell that person, hey, this is how you messed up. Here's how you can fix it. Because that takes a lot of time. So the Shaykh, he says, Shaykh, he said, like, real tawbah doesn't happen unless I become aware of my, my mistakes. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is so merciful that He makes someone aware of their mistakes and then guides them to want to repent to Him. Shota Tawbah said that Allah turned to them so they would repent to Allah. Meaning Allah turned to them by showing them their mistakes so that they would feel a sense of now I need to return. And that's why the verse says, rahim." With them, God has been merciful, forgiving, and kind. So He, we should never like, when we have those moments, we talked about this before of awareness, where we're brought into a state where I feel like I've done some things that are bad, I should not allow that to consume me and destroy me, but I should say alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has awakened me to the situation, al-yaqadah, and now I need to turn back to him. So like, that's why subhanAllah, one of our teachers used to say, whoever finds themselves aware of their illness, their sicknesses, right? should understand that Allah loved them. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has opened a door back in spite of ourselves, subhanallah. So like, again, we talked about before, being aware of evil has a potential for great change. But if I allow it to destroy me, then that's where shaitan now is coming into play and like, you know, uh, trying to cause me to lose hope. Then he said, recognizing, so, and he said like true repentance can only happen when we understand the gravity of what we've done. And that involves three things. Number one, I realized that when I perform the sin, I've harmed the special relationship between me and Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number two, that, that unique relationship with Allah uh, number two is that, like, I enjoyed it. Like, I actually enjoyed the sin. Like, I enjoyed maasi. I enjoyed disobeying the one who created me, the one who guided me. And the third, he said, You will understand the gravity of this when you realize you're never alone. Huwa maakum ma maakuntum. So, like, I did it, even though as a believer, Whereas a Muslim, I know Allah. He said, the language he used, نَظَرَ ilay," staring at you. So there was a, a moment where my yaqeen in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala seeing me has been compromised. And then as we know, he likes to talk about things in threes. So he said the conditions of repentance are three. We talked about it. Number one, nadam is regret. To feel a sense of remorse, man. The Prophet said, nadam Number two is a deep awareness of what I've done. A mindfulness of, of the mistake I've made. Number three, Tiaraf, a sincere apology. And we should never understand that these things are impossible. Like I have a problem when people teach kind of books of Tasawwuf, like the way that it's phrased, it's like, it's not for us. But this is for us, man. Right? It doesn't mean like, oh, what if I don't do it perfect? Well, you're not perfect in the first place. It's okay, man. You know, subhanAllah, I was in a nightclub. I was 17 years old, man. And I was reading the Quran at that time in the restroom of my mother's house. And I used to get into clubs because I could DJ, so they would let me in because I was... You know, not very small. People didn't know how old I was. And I remember, man, I was DJing. Then I went into the restroom. I started crying in the restroom. I said, if you're Buddha, if you're Jesus, if you're Allah, if you're whoever, I'm sorry. For, like, living my life like this. So, like, if it could happen in a toilet, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you're in a mosque and you made wudu and you left class early or you came from work early to repent, like, you're not in a restroom DJing with a bag of weed in your pocket. So you should never allow, as Imam Ibn Ta'ala said, if you feel destroyed by your sins, then, be, then drown in trans, transcendent rahmah. And if you've taken your sins lightly, then drown yourself in transcendent justice. There has to be a balance. And I have a problem when people make these things so linear. Like, you gotta be like, absolutely perfect. There can't be one wrinkle in your clothing. We do that to the Muslim community because, you know, modernity has played a game on everybody. But like, we're human beings. Don't you think Allah is kind enough and loving enough to know that you're trying your best? So when I'm talking about these things, we mentioned this early on. Even if you're up by 31 points, okay, you shouldn't get laxed. And even if you're down by 31 points, don't get laxed. Anyone saw that game last night? That was amazing, mashallah. Um, But the point I'm trying to say is like, don't allow notions of perfection to destroy yourself at the same time don't allow notions of like, we're going to talk about this later, like Allah is forgiving, Allah's forgiving, alhamdulillah, 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 to destroy you. So the shaykh, he said, you know, a deep awareness of who you are, you need to be mindful, I need to be mindful of who I am, and a sincere apology, and then al-iqla'ah, which means to leave it. We talked about what that means, like if there's addiction involved, if there's some kind of, mental or psychological challenge, those are very different than being able to stop something immediately. Or by stopping it, if it creates a greater harm in my life, those are issues that are different. Those are issues that we take into into, uh, consideration as strategy. And then he says that the subtleties... Uh, the realities of repentance, the hakika of repentance are also three things. Understanding the magnanimity of the sin, charging your soul, indicting your soul until it feels that it needs to repent, and then seeking forgiveness. And then he says the deep secrets of repentance are also three. Distinguishing the anchor from deception, meaning like when I repent, coming out of doing evil, am I going to rely on God or evil? So deception from what should be a true anchor. And we'll finish here inshallah. Then forgetting the sin, meaning after years and years and years, if Allah subhanahu wa Ta'ala has brought you into a different state in a different practice, you've replaced evil with good, then keep on that path. Remember Allah's mercy more than you remember the sin because Allah has established you on his obedience. And then the last is that constantly stay in repentance. Like throughout your life, make it a habit. And that's because Allah says, and what He means here is like, don't feel like just because you're good, everything's great, like you're not committing, you're not making mistakes. No, no, always, alhamdulillah, repent. Because Allah says, believers repent. He said, believers, they're still sinning. So we'll stop here and then we'll continue. We'll finish this part of the text and then we'll move on to the third uh, station. Insha'Allah uh, ta'ala wa naktafi bihada wa sallallahu ala sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa